Dobby's seen things you people wouldn't believe. Pudding in flight above the Dursley's kitchen floor. He's watched Patronuses glittering in the dark in the room of requirement. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. Time to die, Harry Potter. You are listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for free elves. Dobby, no, don't die. Don't die. The elf's eyes found him, and his lips trembled with the effort to form words. Harry. And then, with a little shudder, the elf became quite still, and his eyes were nothing more than great glassy orbs, sprinkled with light from the stars they could not see. I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And this is gonna be a tearful one. (laughs) What the fuck? Hi, we are... At this point, about two-thirds of the way through Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, which would be impressive, except we've been working on this book since, like, fucking July. (laughs) So we're inching our way along. We have gotten to a high-slash-low point of the book and the series, because this week we are reading the chapter called, to coin a phrase, but-but-but-motherfucking Malfoy Manor. I've never said that. I guess not. But it was fun. We're reading Malfoy Manor. There will be, there's already been like two F-bombs, so that's impressive. And there will be plenty more, as well as some key spoilers, such as Dobby dies. Oh my god. (laughs) Awful. Awful. This one's going to be rough. Even worse than Hedwig, I would posit. Mm, I don't know. Are you kidding me? Tied? That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. Remember when Hedwig died? Okay, Hedwig was sad. This is absolutely brutal. This is devastating. Uh, There's some adult themes, too, besides a really, really horrible death. Actually, there's two pretty upsetting deaths in this one, but we'll get to that. So your adult themes are allergic reactions, werewolves of London class reunions, enhanced interrogation techniques, and martyrdom. Alex, take us through this particular gauntlet. What happened this week? In this week's chapter, the trio are surrounded by a gang of snatchers who were summoned by Harry breaking the taboo and saying the name of he who must not be named. Thinking quickly, Hermione blasts Harry in the face with a curse that makes his face swell up and become unrecognizable. It's like he got stung by just a whole bunch of bees. It's the bee. It's the bee curse. (laughs) Harry realizes one of the snatchers is Fenrir Greyback, who's being super creepy. He calls Hermione delicious, uh, among other things. So he's feeling 
very hungry. He's the werewolf. The Snatchers interrogate the trio who give aliases. Hermione says she's Penelope Clearwater. Harry says, I'm uh, Vernon Dudley. And Ron says he's Stan Shunpike, which is an alias he used before. And they don't believe him this time because one of the Snatchers says, like hell you are, we know Stan Shunpike. He's put a bit of work our way. So I guess Stan is actually bad. Yeah, I don't have know. Ever, I forget. Have we ever figured out whether he was imperious or Stan is just kind of like a dirtbag? I don't know. Well, anyway, that'd be sad if he's dirtbag Stan. Uh, the Snatchers. The Snatchers have also snatched Dean Thomas and Griphook because that's what Snatchers do. They snatch people. Snatchers, no snatching. <laughs> uh, one of the Snatchers. I'm saying the word Snatcher too much. One of these snatch dudes. Ew, uh, that's worse. Just say bad guys. One of the bad guys recognizes Hermione from a copy of the Daily Prophet that they salvaged from the tent. So they all put their heads together and deduce that the guy who no one can recognize is probably Harry Potter. Also, he's like just got like a very distended lightning bolt scar like on his head. I get, they can't, you can't really make it out. It's like, just sort of looks weird. I don't know. Harry sounds like he looks pretty gross in this. One of the Snatchers also finds Harry's glasses. So that's another clue. A clue, a clue. A clue, a clue. And the Sword of Gryffindor, which they don't really know that it's the Sword of Gryffindor, but they speculate it must be worth a lot because it is jewel-encrusted as hell. <laughs> So, as if Harry didn't have enough on his mind, all of a sudden Harry is sucked into Lovo's brain. Once again, Voldemort is flying to the tippy top of a menacing dark tower. So, Harry's like, man, I picked a bad day to quit trying to be telepathic. <laughs> um, also, Lovo definitely himself thinks the term tippy top. Tippy top. It's like, <laughs> oh, there, Wormtail. In the tippy topmost tower. <laughs> <laughs> that is where I must go. I also like, at one point, Voldemort thinks to himself, time to fly. <laughs> That's a direct quote. I know. He's like looking up at the tower and he's like, all right, if I want to get to the tippy top of this thing, <laughs> time to fly. I like the Lovo. He's kind of psyched about his flying abilities. I would be. Although I still don't understand why he's flying places and not just apparating. But actually, there is a line in this that says, as Lovo's like soaring back to Malfoy Manor, which is later on, uh, Harry's like, oh man, we oh, we have to, pretty soon he'll be like in apparating range. So there is, I know we've discussed this before, but there's definitely like a limit on the distances that people can apparate. So... Anyway, just some wizarding logistics for you. But which... he flies crazy fast. Like, he flies almost as fast as apparating. How fast do you think he can fly? I don't... Is it, like, 747 speed? Like He seems to be flying at an airplane rate. Wow. That's fucked up. That must feel really weird on his face. <laughs> his face like probably the... already feels really weird all the time. That's true. His face is very messed up. But, I mean, he's... Gonna, he's gonna get his like lips chapped, like race, like going through the sky at that speed with I the like wind the hitting him. Chapped lips is the sort of like worst sensation gotta, that you can conjure. He's gotta like I don't know, like think how fucking bad it would feel to be moving through the air at that speed. It with, would like, feel nothing. extremely bad. He's You'd also wearing, freeze to death. He's not wearing like 
aviator aviation goggles, right? Like, I don't know. Maybe he slathers himself up with Vaseline before he goes out. Voldemort needs PPE. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, Harry's having a fucking vision, but he's able to, like, bring himself to... He's, like, fighting off this vision, which is ironic because he's wanted to get into Lovo's mind for, like, weeks now, and it's happening at the exact wrong time. But super helpful for us in terms of exposition. So the Snatchers are feeling, like, jubilant, but also apprehensive about the fact that they've caught Potter. Greyback doesn't want to take him to the Ministry because the Ministry might take credits, but he can't summon the Dark Lord because even though he's permitted to wear Death Eater robes, he doesn't have the Dark Mark because... He's got fur! That's not actually why. But it would be hard to get the Dark Mark because he's well, furry. He doesn't have fur right now. He he's has... in human form. No, but they talk about him having like crazy whiskers and like body hair. He's just sort of like... He's like your barber, your like old barber. Wolfish. <laughs> Remember how hairy his arms were? Yeah. He would offer you vodka at like 8 a.m. I mean, that, that was, was nice. That was really good. I haven't been to a barber in a long time, so yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Become, I'm sorry, that's very triggering for you. It's okay. The barbering situation has become a real it's problem. Grim. I'm starting to look like a werewolf. <laughs> no, you just look like one of those Scottish cows that has bangs. I do. Now, Voldemort doesn't let Greyback have the dark mark because he just thinks werewolves are like icky. To be fair, but he likes this one he's super mean. Grayback in particular is icky. He's very ick. Meanwhile, back in Lovo's mind, Voldemort is looking at an emaciated figure through a window. He like turns and there's like a really tiny crack at the tippy top of this tower, and then he turns into smoke and like goes inside this cell. Uh, flashback to where Harry is. There's a lot of quick cuts in this chapter. Luckily, she uses that age-old tactic of italics <laughs> to tell you where you are. That's handy. A little it's... visual cue. Greyback and crew take their captives instead to Malfoy Manor, which is where they've heard Lovo has been posting up. Greyback and company go to the front gate shouting, We've got Potter. Harry sees that fucking albino peacock that Lucius has. Um... Just thought I'd call that out. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Back to Lovo's mind, the emaciated man in the jail cell says to him, your journey was pointless. I never had it. Imagine that I just said that in italics. Um, Back at Malfoy Manor, Narcissa Malfoy says she wants to be sure that the Snatchers have actually snatched Potter and asks Draco, who is home for the Easter holidays, to examine him. Wizards celebrate Easter? Yeah, first of all, what? What do you mean the Easter holidays? I mean, do I wizards they... have the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? They have Christmas, so I mean, it tracks. Yeah, Christmas is like sort pretty of... secular, especially like Christmas is really, really a thing like in the UK. Yeah. But like Easter is like very explicitly a religious Easter's, holiday. Easter has been, there's been some secularization, but it's been some. resistant. But like you know? Easter is about the Easter Bunny Jesus. doesn't have as much juice as Santa in terms of like it's not even just spring break. It's specifically he's home. It's like it's like what he came home on Good Friday. Like again, I mean we can't spend too much time here, but are wizards Christian? I guess they are. Is Jesus a wizard? This just opens a lot of stuff that we cannot spend time on. You're a wizard, Jesus. <laughs> 
That's sacrilegious. Yeah. Um, I just crossed myself. So anyway, Draco, reflecting on the gospel of Luke, goes and examines... (laughs) 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 Goes to examine Harry Potter. And denies him three times. And (laughs) denies... Draco he actually will might literally in just a few hours. Yeah. He might literally have three different occasions of saying, I'm not sure, I can't be sure. Whoa, but J- Draco was never like Harry's disciple, so it doesn't like cut as deep. It doesn't fully track, but yeah. whatever, Easter jokes. That's a niche subset of Very, jokes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Draco's not really enthusiastic about this task he's like i don't know i can't be sure yeah maybe it's harry uh, i don't know he doesn't even affirmatively id hermione and ron he's like yeah it's probs them i don't know i'm too busy eating this chocolate rabbit hermione doesn't have any kind of disguise no, not, right I, and they might look a little like haggard after like that many days in social isolation i mean having like long hair and dirt on your face as Hermione. Like, it's not even like Hermione can have grown That's true. like a quarantine beard. Yeah. Do you think Ron has like some like quarantine scrub? Probably some really gross, like kind of like Ed Sheeran style. Yeah. I can't imagine. Kind of a neck beard right like, now. Ron Rupert. was already a neck beard to begin with. But now he's but, a literal yeah, neck he's beard. He's a literal neck beard. Anyway, uh, Lucius is like stoked about this. He says, handing Harry to the Dark Lord will mean all is forgiven. And he like, I love this part when he's like, I don't know, take a take a closer look, Draco. And he's like, he's like practically shoving Draco's face like closer to Harry's like disgusting, puffy, distended like visage. Draco I, I think just... That, I think that part's hilarious. And then they're all like, <laughs> oh, what happened to him? I think it's a stinging charm, and one of the snatches like, yeah, it definitely looks like he got stung. He's like <laughs> debating. So anyway, Lucius is psyched, but then Greyback is like, oh, uh, hey, um, I'm still here, and actually I found Harry Potter. So let's not forget that. Narcissa is, she's alarmed, you know, because she's not quite sure. She knows that if they call Lovo and it's not really Harry. They're going to be in deep shit. So she's examining the Blackthorn wand that... Where did Harry get this wand again? He took it off some snatcher dude? Some other baddie? Some, like, fucking and then generic... Old, no, Ron had it. Ron, Ron took it from a snatcher and he brought it with him. Okay. Yeah. But it's a shit wand anyway. Right. So Narcissa is examining the Blackthorn Wand and says it doesn't match Ollivander's description. Finally, Bellatrix Lestrange walks in. She's still got an inexplicable French accent in the Jim Dale narration, even though Narcissa doesn't, but their sisters, I guess she just picked it up as an affectation after she married uh, Lestrange. But we've discussed that. There's nothing we haven't discussed. We're just, this is just a retread from no, here on out. No, that's not true. There's lots of stuff we haven't discussed yet. We're going to say a whole bunch of kind of upsetting shit about Fenrir Greyback that's in a second. That's true. <laughs> anyway, Bellatrix says, if this is really Harry Potter, we've got to notify the Dark Lord right away. She pulls back her sleeve to touch the Dark Mark, but then Lucius physically stops her and says, I should be the one to call my house my rules. 
Bellatrix says, you lost your authority when you lost your wand. Fenrir is over in the corner. He's like, uh, hey, guys, uh, I'm still here. Once again. I, I actually got Harry Potter. And uh, I really want the gold reward. And Bellatrix uh, is like, gold? Yeah. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Like, that's not really what's at stake here, buddy. Bellatrix mocks Fenrir Greyback for wanting that Fenrir payback. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was, that was, I mean, good might be a stretch, but I enjoyed it. It's good enough. It'll do for our purposes. That Fenrir payback. She says, she's, you know, so she mocks him for being motivated by material goods instead of, uh... I guess, just pure Death Eaterism. She says, I don't want gold. I only seek the honor of serving the Dark Lord. Which Bellatrix would fucking say that. Boning the Dark Lord. (laughs) It's like, "Mm, yeah, you want a little more than just the honor Honor. of serving him. If Uh, honor is what we're calling it these days, I guess, Bellatrix. (laughs) Get that Voldy D. Ew. <laughs> With Bellatrix distracted, Lucius is finally about to summon Lovo when all of a sudden Bellatrix shrieks, Stop! Don't touch it! We're all gonna perish if the Dark Lord comes now. So, holy shit, what could possibly be going on? She points at the sword, which this other just random snatcher is holding, and she says to hand it over. He doesn't. There's a struggle. Bellatrix, like, owns all four snatchers and takes the sword because she's i mean she's the worst but she's also like pretty badass harry even thinks that he's like yeah she's she's powerful and good at magic (laughs) bellatrix pretty good at magic bellatrix demands to know where fenrir and crew found the sword Fenrir just says yo it was in the tent and we just snatched it because that's what we do we snatch things Bellatrix tells Draco to move the dispatched Snatchers outside, and if he doesn't have the nerve to finish them off, leave them for her. Which, that's fuck. Wow. You're just gonna fucking kill these guys? I mean... For fun. Yeah. Poor Draco. Draco's like... like, you don't have the nerve to commit totally random murder of guys that are on our side? (laughs) You pussy. Sorry, I actually hate that term, but... (laughs) Draco's like, oh man, murder, it's not really my thing. I'm more of a death nibbler <laughs> than a death eater. <laughs> death snacker. Uh, a death want, amuse-bouche. Yeah, I don't want the whole death meal. Anyway, Narcissa says, don't talk to Draco that way. Bellatrix is like, you've got no idea what a big fucking problem we have here, Narcissa. So shut your big yapper. Greyback, who I guess, he didn't get wrecked in this whole thing. It's just the other, I forget how many she, fucking Snatchers there are. Like, he like stuns gets, him, he but gets it, he's like very strong or, I don't know. He's like on his knees and like paralyzed, it, it, but he's not The logistics not don't matter. Greyback is out. like, Greyback's still, he's still in the picture. She has him take the other prisoners to the cellar. Which is a dungeon. Yeah. The Malfoys have a dungeon. Oh, I was thinking it was just like the wine cellar. Dude, Ollivander's just getting lit. He's just <laughs> down there like, well, this is a really good vintage, yeah, so. very good year. I mean, they would have a wine cellar because Draco wines so much. Oh, um, my 
The wine cellar is just Draco's bedroom. (laughs) That's not even really a good joke either, but that's why people tune in to the Quibbler podcast. God only knows why y'all tune in. Um, Some people have been listening like over again or for a third time. Which, yeah, I mean, I guess if- If that's how you're going to do quarantine, more power to you. I've only listened to all of these once. I've re-listened to the early ones just to remind myself to stay tight because they're a little bit rough. A little shaky. Uh, Anyway, down in the fucking wine or potato cellar or whatever. Potato cellar? cellar A a root cellar is the thing, right? Yeah, in like my Antonia. You put your like root vegetables. Which is what I'm reading right now. Who knows what the cellar is for? Under ordinary circumstances, now it's a dungeon. it is fully a prison. So Greyback takes Harry, Ron, Griphook, and Dean. It's funny that Griphook and Dean are just observing this whole, all of this like unfold. They're like, man, some shit going down here. <laughs> um, but she says, wait, how are Griphook and Dean so close to the trio? The trio has moved like nine times. This makes no sense. No, they're all in like the front room or whatever. No, 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 like no. When they when the snatchers show up, how? Why do they have Griphook and Dean? Because they'd snatch them earlier in the night. From where though? Why would they be Wherever nearby? They were. I don't know. That doesn't make sense. Well, no, they had them and they they caught them someplace totally different. Oh, and then they apparated. heard the taboo and they apparated. heard the taboo and apparated. Still deeply unlikely. It's kind of weird that like. When the taboo is broken, they don't send, like, actual ministry officials or Death Eaters, like, just zoning well, yeah, on like, this. How Why do these it... random snatchers these, like, hear the taboo? third stringers, like, head after, like, go after the taboo. I feel like, unless the taboo is, like, broken way more than you would think. Which it's not, because basically only the Order says it. Yeah, a lot of these plot details get a little bit buried under the avalanche of plot like in this Fenrir, chapter. Fenrir is pretty A-team, but maybe not A-team. I think he's B-team. Okay. Fenrir is like a little bit of a who of Death Eaters. <laughs> but you know, he's definitely got... Hard plug for Who Weekly podcast. <laughs> he's Fenrir's definitely, you know, he's not working with a deep bench. Anyway, I think we're still moving Harry and Ron and company down to the cellar, but Bellatrix says, leave Hermione, leave the mudblood to me. And then she proceeds to torture her for information about Gryffindor's sword. For like a long time. Yeah, there's... Like, this is not great. This hella torture. God, this episode's gonna be so long. I know. It's own form of torture. <laughs> I don't actually think so. No, to no. those of you who have stuck it out this long. Yep. Uh, in the makeshift cellar cell... Um, Again... Hard to do puns that are very much based on spelling in a verbal format. No, you're right. But go for it. Well, that wasn't even meant to be a pun. I just was tripping over my words. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah. So Harry and Ron are reunited with Luna, who is imprisoned in the Malfoy's dungeon cellar, along with Mr. Ollivander, who's looking worse for wear. But thank God he's still alive. That's a relief. Luna tries to free Ron and Harry from their bonds. Wait, why did he kill Greg, but not Ollivander? I don't know. Again, just not well organized. Lovo has like, I think he has impulse control issues. You think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because sometimes he gets real pissed and is just like, ah, Vada Kedavra. And then sometimes he's a bit more strategic. I don't know why Ollivander is allowed to live. Fucking Greg, R.I.P. Poor Greg. Or Vich. Luna uses a nail that her and Ollivander have found to cut Harry and Ron's bonds, but she can't see very well. So Ron gets out like tells her where to find like the deluminator in his pockets and she which is still holding all the light that he deluminated in the last chapter when the snatchers showed up so um let there be light there there's now light uh, luminescence in the <laughs> yeah that was a hard sentence to get out for some reason it's a very to be fair it's a very long chapter and very dense i know there is a great deal of action. <laughs> uh, also, Hermione is screaming this whole time. Which yeah. Which is really, it's fucking Ron right up. Yeah, Ron's pretty freaked out. Yeah, which I mean. Understandably. Fair. Yeah, Ron, Ron is not wrong. Which is new and different <laughs> for Ron. Harry's scar is hurting this whole time and he knows there isn't much time until the Dark Lord finally shows up. Panicking, he empties his mokeskin pouch. He takes the snitch out and like shakes it. He tries his old wand, which was broken into, but nothing happens. Then he pulls out like the shard of the two-way mirror that Siri that was that Sirius gave him, and he sees a glint of a blue eye in it, which he thinks looks like Dumbledore's eye, and he just shouts, "Help us! We're in Malfoy Manor." I mean, it's a strategy. This reminds me of when you're lost in a Legend of Zelda game and you're just like touching every brick in the dungeon because like maybe it'll help you get to the next part. That resonates with me almost as little as Tribbles. Bellatrix is still torturing Hermione. She keeps asking how they found the sword. Hermione says, we just found it. Bellatrix is like, you're, Bellatrix says, you're lying. How did you get into my vault at Gringotts? She keeps asking how they got into her vault. Hermione says, it's just a copy. Finally, Bellatrix sends for Griphook, who's also imprisoned in the cellar. And the walls are like really thin. Everybody can hear perfectly well what's happening up in the room above the cellar. But clearly the people upstairs can't hear the cellar. Well, they can a little bit because then, well, you'll see. I mean, I remember. Yeah. This is not a secret to me. (laughs) You don't have to protect me from spoilers. Well, anyway, yeah, they can like hear perfectly everything that's happening upstairs. So the acoustics in the Malfoy Manor, not great. Well, also everybody upstairs is literally screaming. That's true. Bellatrix basically has one volume. (laughs) Bellatrix screams a lot. Two volumes, because she also has like a menacing whisper, I think. True. It's either that or just wrathful shrieking. Also with an inexplicable French accent. (laughs) Only in the Jim Dale. So because Harry can hear everything going on upstairs, he begs Griphook to say that it's a copy. Griphook is like pretty fucked up and kind of out of it. So Harry just hopes that... Griphook is down for that. Uh, and then Ron shuts off the lights because Draco comes and fetches Griphook. After Draco leaves, there's a loud crack inside the cellar. Ron turns on the lights again using the deluminator, revealing that motherfucking Dobby the house elf has apparated into their midst. Because what would this book be without a 
final blaze of glory, Dobby Ex Machina. <laughs> Dobby's like, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. <laughs> At his immense and ultimately fatal peril. Yeah, this habit is about to really catch up with really him. Really catch up with him. <laughs> I can't even make jokes about it. I'm going to start crying again. This is rough. So, Harry Potter, Dobby squeaks. Dobby has come to rescue you, of course. Uh, Dobby is shaking in fear to be in his old master's home all this time. But, you know, he's there. He's ready for this. Full hearts, clear eyes, can't lose. Is that how it goes? I think it's clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Harry asks Dobby if he can disapparate from the cellar and takes human with humans with him. Dobby nods yes. Harry tells Dobby to take Luna, Dean, and Ollivander to Bill and Fleur's house, Shell Cottage, which he says is like on the outskirts of some fucking village. Just how would people? How would Dobby know where to find this fucking place? Because but, Dobby's a genius. That's true. Dobby's like pretty tuned in, but I like that he just says like the name of the house, and Dobby's like cool on it. Luna and Dean both say they don't want to leave Harry. They want to help. Dean is like, we can't leave you here. Harry's like, uh, I'm fucking sorry. Is this book called Dean Thomas and the Deathly Hallows? Get the fuck out of here. It's way too late for you to become any kind of like secondary hero character. (laughs) Poor Dean. (laughs) You had your chance for glory in Order of the Phoenix. You missed it, bro. Wait, is Seamus dead? No, Seamus isn't dead. Is Seamus at school? I think so. Oh, Maybe it was pulled out of school. Seamus wasn't with them. Right. I don't know where Seamus is. Seamus is somewhere. He's probably been like killed off in like a JK Rowling tweet at some point. <laughs> she was like, oh, no, by the way. He's back. He's in Dumbledore's army. He's like chilling with Ginny, I think. I don't know. Why I did I even ask this I don't question? Know what happened this to is derailing. Anyway, Harry then flashes back to Lovo's mind. Lovo is still talking with like Skeletor dude who says, kill me Voldemort I welcome death, but it won't bring you what you seek. There is so much you don't understand as well as the reader. This is Grindelwald by the way. Yeah, spoiler. In case anybody forgot. Voldemort is like, he's fucking pissed because he has no chill. Cut to Malfoy Manor once again. Another, Another Hermione scream sucks Harry back into the present moment. Dobby disapparates with the gang. his first, like, cargo of prisoners, creating another loud crack, which Lucius hears in the upstairs room because it's all fucking, like, thin-ass drywall at Malfoy Manor. Uh, and he sends Wormtail to investigate. When Wormtail, Peter Pettigrew, comes to the door, Harry and Ron tackle him and cover his mouth, Ron shouts in a Wormtail-y voice that's a pretty good impression that nothing's going on. Wormtail's silver hand, meanwhile, closes around Harry's throat, threatening to choke him to death. Harry's like, dude, what the fuck? I saved your life, man. You owe me, bro. With that, Wormtail's grip loosens for a moment, allowing Harry to wrench himself free. Wormtail seems, like, surprised at his own, like, moment of mercy. Ron takes Wormtail's wand, and then Wormtail's hand closes on his own throat. Harry and Ron struggle to save him, but it's too late. The hand, gifted by Lord Voldemort, turns on Wormtail and chokes him to death. This is 
dark. And that's how Peter Pettigrew dies. Yeah, I am not even, I don't care if he rests in peace, but it's pretty upsetting. With no time to lose, Harry and Ron creep upstairs where Griphook is telling Bellatrix that the sword is a fake. Relief breaks across her face. She slashes the goblin with her wand, who falls to his knees in pain, and then she touches the dark mark to summon Lord Voldemort. And Harry's mind is once again transported into Lovos, who is fucking pissed. He's like, I told them... Don't summon me for anything less than Potter. I knew I should have fucking snoozed my notifications, set an out-of-office autoresponder. What the hell? I, I can't, I mean, I can't even muster the strength to laugh at any of that. <laughs> but, you know, I like, you know, you got to relate to Voldemort in this moment where he's like, he's having this very important conversation. And then it's like, do 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 And he's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Guys. A little busy here. Uh. We are at minute 36. Yeah, but once I take out... All the nonsense. All the nonsense. Well, some of the nonsense. Some of the nonsense we'll preserve. So, anyway, Voldemort's mad as hell. The old man he's talking with says, Kill me then, but you won't win. You can't win. That wand will never, ever be yours. So... Lovo's in a pretty surly mood, he obliges, he kills the old man, then he turns to the window and departs. Time to fly. Back at Malfoy Manor, Bellatrix says Greyback can dispose of Hermione. Harry and Ron then attack at that moment. There is a wizard battle in the scrum. Bellatrix seizes Hermione and holds a knife to her throat and tells Ron and Harry to drop their wands. They do so, Bellatrix says, Lovo's on the way, you're fucking doomed, Potter. They tie up Harry and Ron again. I like that they just have all this rope lying around. <laughs> you know? I think they probably conjure it. Oh, I forgot. Wizards can do that. <laughs> Ropus, Apirus, or whatever the fucking spell is. It's like Incarcerus or something. I don't know. Everyone hears a grinding noise from above. They see the Malfoy's crystal chandelier trembling and creaking ominously just before it falls to the floor and explodes in a stupendous, like, supernova of crystal and chains. There's another wizard battle. Harry uses the opportunity to seize the three wands taken from them by Draco. He points all three of them at Fenrir Greyback and, like, blows them across the room. That part's fucking cool. I didn't know you could use more than one wand at once, but apparently you can. Amid all of this, Narcissa is pointing her wand at someone in the doorway. It's, he deserves it twice, but ba ba motherfucking Dobby, yet again, who pulled a full-on Phantom of the Opera and dropped the chandelier at, like, the climax of this chapter. Yeah, that's pretty that's awesome. Because that's what chandeliers do. <laughs> that's their fault. That's their that's, sole that's purpose. That's why you install a chandelier. In the Malfoys never should have installed the chandelier if they didn't want it dramatically dropped on them. <laughs> At the height of their evil machinations. <laughs> Dobby says to Narcissa, You must not hurt Harry Potter. Kill him, sissy, shrieks Bellatrix. But there's another crack, and Narcissa's wand flies out of his hand. Bellatrix calls Dobby a dirty little monkey. That's rude. Yeah. And, well, we won't even get into that. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a lot. There's uh, a lot there. Yeah. She says, how dare you take a witch's wand and defy your masters? Literally, Alex, this is line by line. But it's important. Okay. 
Dobby says Dobby has no master. Dobby is a free elf. Harry pulls Griphook and the Sword of Gryffindor out from under the wreckage of the chandelier and seizes Dobby's hand. Somehow, I think it, Hermione and Ron, like, get in... And, well, that doesn't matter. As they disapparate, Harry sees a blur of flying silver from Bellatrix's knife flying across the room. Harry repeatedly thinks, Shell Cottage, hoping it will be enough to get them to safety. They land somewhere. Harry asks Dobby, is this Shell Cottage... Have we come to the right place? But Dobby doesn't answer. He just sees the tiny elf standing a few feet away from him. Dobby sways and Harry sees Bellatrix's knife protruding from his chest. Harry cries for help, not caring where they are. Blood spreads across Dobby's front as Harry pleads with him not to die. Dobby gets out two last words. Harry Potter. And then he becomes... Quite still, the stars reflected in his eyes. Well. And that's what happens in this week's chapter. Oh, no. Wow, so that was brutal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That's also, an understatement. Such a long summary. Heavens to Murgatroyd. Okay, so now they're more... Summary is probably the wrong summary way Summary is the wrong word for whatever it is we do. I would say it's more... It's a retelling. It's an as told by, yeah. It's Harry Potter <laughs> as told by Alex Dallenberg. Which? And with help from Heather Price, right? Sort of. Just snark. <laughs> Just occasional off-the-cuff snark. There is a lot going on in this chapter. We are done camping definitively. The pace change? I'm trying to figure out what the verb is for the throttle. This she, like, let out. Is that what you call it? Letting out the throttle? I don't... What do you do with a throttle? I do. I look like an automobile ologist. I have no idea. Okay, well, <laughs> I'm really, uh, I'm really bad at cars. But basically, this chapter is what happens when you end social distancing too soon. What? I mean, they were social distancing and then they weren't. Okay, but and then you everything all... went to hell. Okay, I get it. Sorry. Right. Okay, I, didn't... I was going for some topical humor there, but clearly it didn't land. I didn't fully follow the joke, but other people <laughs> might have. So let's leave it. Is this chapter overstuffed, or have we just been experiencing like literary sensory deprivation because they've just been fucking camping? At first, I thought it was overstuffed. My first reaction was that, wow, we went from. Not that much going on to all of a sudden J.K. Rowling's like, oh, how about I pack in like a whole book's worth of plot into this one chapter? Let's kill off two major characters. Uh... <laughs> one major character and one, I would say, like D-list character. Peter, Peter Pettigrew, he was a plot twist more than an actual character. Yeah, but the whole like third book kind of centers around his drama. No, it doesn't. I mean, He's just bit. the plot well, twist. He's okay. a rat most of the time. That's you cannot true. make the argument that it centers around his rat drama. Yeah, she killed off Peter Pettigrew and Scabbers. <laughs> R.I.P. Scabbers. So think about that. You think Ron never really had a chance. To, well, we can talk about Peter Pettigrew later, but Ron never really had a chance to grieve Scabbers. Did Ron need to grieve Scabbers? He loves Scabbers. Scabbers was a rat. And Scabbers... No, pets are sad Turned to out lose. not to be who he thought he was. It's like when you get an unexpected, like, ancestry DNA, like... It's not result. No, even it's not a like little that. bit Sorry, like that. I am not 
Yeah. My metaphors are just misfiring. Yeah. Uh, Falling like, like pretty a, flat. Like a throttle. If that's what a throttle does. <laughs> does a throttle I don't, misfire? I don't know. I think this a throttle is controls trash. fuel, maybe? This is, tr- this is trash audio. <laughs> we need to readjust. Okay, okay. so lots happened. Uh, we went from the sensory deprivation of hanging out in tents. Although I guess, you know, there was the whole kerfuffle. I guess it was more than a kerfuffle at Xenophilius Love Goods, which was sort of like a less intense version of a less extreme version of what just happened here of Death Eater battle. No, I mean, this book has been sort of pockmarked by bits of action here and there, but now it's action from here on out. It sort of reminds me, you read about this in like war, in war memoirs, or people write about how a lot of the experience of conflict Bat is like combat. Uh, a lot of a lot of the experience of combat is long stretches of boredom punctuated by like flurries of extreme terror. So it kind of tracks in that way. Like you know, if you if you've ever read like a Civil War diary, it's like bored, 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 bored. Battle of Gettysburg. Oh my god, I am all like I now have one leg. Bored, oh bored, 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 bored. Or yeah. Or All Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah. Which I was extremely resistant to reading in high school because I thought it was going to be about the West, like cowboys and shit. And being from the West, I was like, I don't need to read that. That's prairie nonsense. <laughs> I vividly remember when I read All Quiet on the Western Front. I was so upset at, by the end of it that I just, I think I took like a four hour walk around the neighborhood just to like walk it off. But a lot of it is boredom. Mm-hmm. Okay, so good point. It is, I mean, whatever. We've talked about this basically having become a war narrative in book five, really. So the thing that's especially narratively complex and potentially kind of teetering on the verge of not working, I think, in this chapter is the simulcast of Voldemort's experiences, like, in Harry's brain, which is extremely confusing even to read, But also, it's actually a kind of useful show-don't-tell mechanism because we get to see firsthand, like, why isn't Voldemort there? Oh, Harry knows exactly because he's having vivid visions all of a sudden for very good plot reasons of Voldemort. I think if we didn't have some kind of device to know what Lovo was up to without having to do something which she doesn't break away from... Harry's perspective that often except in one or two very special chapters so without inserting like some kind of breakaway that wasn't from Harry's perspective which wouldn't really fit with how the rest of the books are written I don't think the chapter has as much drama without us having some way of knowing what Voldemort is up to and it wouldn't be as exciting if just Lucius Malfoy made like a one-off comment that was like, oh, well, uh, Voldemort's on an errand, you know? We need... (laughs) He's on a pretty dark errand. He's on a business trip. Um, No one's ever on a business trip ever again. I know, yeah. (laughs) That's what's triggering about these chapters is that Voldemort's traveling. Yeah, Um, although to be fair, he's very socially distanced traveling because he's just flying alone across the ocean at virtually at the agreed upon speed of potentially a jumbo jet. However fast Voldemort flies, Uh, which I mean, who even knows? Harry all of a sudden is like, oh dang, 
I figured out occlumency. I guess I can just block his thoughts. Oh. Harry's such a procrastinator. <laughs> He's just like one of those people who can only really perform under extreme pressure. He's just like, this is like the final exam of occlumency. And all of a sudden, Harry is like, oh, dang, I got it. And he Here doesn't we even go. do it that well. Like, he still has to watch Grindelwald get dispatched with a killing curse. Yeah, but that's just because the audience needs to watch Grindelwald get dispatched with a killing but, curse. Uh, Harry is impressively able to come, back to, come back to the present moment in these chapters. So yeah, that's also a nice bit of character development. Harry finally gets occlumency. Is it a nice bit of character development or is it not actually very well developed? I think it's mostly expedient to the exposition. Agreed. hey... What are you going to do? We need to know what Lovo's up to. I think we should talk about Fenrir Greyback, who is one of the better drawn, kind of like second tier baddies. We don't get a lot of characterization of Death Eater and Death Eater adjacent characters, except for like the Malfoys. And weirdly, Fenrir is comes into real stark relief in this chapter like we get to know how he operates pretty well yeah yeah totally which is interesting because he is this sort of two-faced style like foil for lupin as the the kind of the like er werewolf yeah and the the werewolf that has embraced his werewolf dumb as opposed to lupin's really intense like shame and trying to hide it so i hadn't even thought about grayback being one of the very few death eaters that we actually get to know because i just never really think about the death eater characters because they're always these kind of cartoonish yeah it's like a jasper like, and horace situation yeah, henchmen, mostly you know they're mostly just faceless stormtroopers whose spells can't hit anything but uh yeah it's a good point but fenrir has some actual unique characterization and like motivations we can pretty clearly understand why he's allied with voldemort unlike many of the other death eaters who just seem like i don't know the most we get is that they're fucking assholes i mean graybacks graybacks an asshole too well he's worse than an asshole no leave him alone leave him alone your boyfriend's gonna have worse than that done to him if he's on my list said the horribly familiar rasping voice Delicious girl, what a treat. I do enjoy the softness of the skin. Harry's stomach turned over. He knew who this was. Fenrir Greyback, the werewolf who was permitted to wear Death Eater robes in return for his hired savagery. That's the other thing, is Greyback is monstrous in much more specific ways, which sort of gets back to a kind of complicated conversation about what werewolfism is trying to like stand in for yeah, in is... these books. So I will say one of the things that I found disturbing and that you mentioned too that I didn't really pick up on as a young person is Fenrir talks about wanting to hurt Hermione in a very sexualized way. It is it is as close as we get in the entire series to like intimations of sexual violence right. other than when the um centaurs like definitely assault Dolores Umbridge but he talks about like biting into her like white skin and how delicious she is it's it's extremely overtly sexualized yeah well the first 
he makes that remark about, oh, this one is like, look at this one, delicious, delicious, before we even know it's Greyback. So I was like, whoa, did a Death Eater just threaten to rape Hermione Granger? Like, what the fuck? This book got real. Uh, uh, like, what the fuck? Um, and then we learn that it's Greyback. First of all, it is... One of the only times, again, except for Umbridge, and it's interesting that these two are sort of like twinned scenes, because first of all, in both cases, the threat is from Mm non-humans. So there is this sense of like sexualizing, like sexual violence-izing non-human characters in a way that she doesn't do with any humans. Yeah. But also, we get this sort of rare understanding that there are things about Hermione that actually put her at specific and extreme risk. And we sort of get that earlier because she's a because she's a muggle-born. Right. And more risk than Harry Potter. Well, in some, in ways. some ways. I mean, Harry, it's interesting that Harry is sort of persona non grata in the whole world right now. Like, he's like public enemy number one. But... Voldemort just wants to dispatch him. Yeah. Like, nobody actually really wants to torture Harry Potter. He's yeah. not in danger of very extreme pain. Yeah, the killing curse, I as we're meant to understand it, is pretty painless. You're just dead. Yeah, and Hermione gets... She doesn't even get wand tortured. I mean, this is sort of speeding ahead a little bit, but Bellatrix Lestrange tortures her with a fucking knife, which... Well, she does use Crucio on her. She and then does holds use the Crucio, knife her, like draws some blood with the knife. But it's all she also clearly like cuts her. Right. Like she uses the knife and the wand, like kind of throughout this torture scene, is my understanding. Which I think this is the first time we've seen non-wand violence. Yeah. Like, is there? Are Besides there other? Some, there's been some fisticuffs. I guess, but there aren't really other instruments of pain in the like. Why, first of all, like why does Bellatrix fucking have a knife? I I don't know. It's just so like affected of her. This is some Borgen and Burke's impulse purchase shit right here. I wonder Maybe if it's, it's a magic curse knife uh, or it's just know. a sharp little da- like girl. Why do you have a dagger? You have <laughs> you have a wand. That seems very. This is a tangent taking us away from a really interesting line of discussion, but that actually seems very un-Death Eater to have this, like, muggle tool. Yeah, it sort of goes against their whole, like, wizarding might yeah. thing. It's, it's like, like, why would you ever need something that muggles cut each other up with? Just what? do it with your friggin' wand. <laughs> yeah. So I actually, that's not in our notes, and I hadn't even thought about that until just now, but it's totally weird that, that Bellatrix Lestrange has a knife. It's like they don't even know what guns are. Right. So, I mean, I guess part of that is because of sort of wizarding and muggle society split before firearms. But either way, why do you have a knife? <laughs> like, why do you throw a knife at Dobby? Just curse. Like, what is that for? Why I don't are you, know. Why Maybe it's an enchanted throwing? knife that always finds its target because, I mean... But it doesn't because be... its target is hairy. It doesn't no, find its uh, I don't think we know that because Sissa, uh, Narcissa says, kill him, Bellatrix. And he's ta- she's talking about... Oh, that's true Oh, no, because... no, actually, no. Take that back. Bellatrix demands that Narcissa kill Dobby. So that's she's infuriated true. with Dobby. So she might be aiming at Dobby and not Harry Potter, which... Oh, she wouldn't be aiming at Harry Potter because... No, because the Dark Lord wants yeah. to kill him. So right. actually, I think she is trying to kill it Dobby. It doesn't seem like a magic knife, though. 
now it just seems like a I just think it's a very it's like a weird Bellatrix affectation it's it, like it's like a sexy girl knife <laughs> This is like my cool, sexy knife. Anyway, back to well, back I mean, to Hermione. Speaking of sexualized, violent act. Yeah. So getting back to getting, getting the train back on the tracks with uh, Hermione. I think. I, I mean, I don't know if J.K. Rowling was trying to say something explicit here, but in times of conflict, vulnerable populations are more likely to suffer sexual violence. Well, yes, I think more broadly, there's a sort of distinction between the kind of like clean heroism of like a soldier killing a soldier and the really the sordid and often much more beastly behavior of killing and torturing and raping civilians that like represent the other. Yeah. So, I mean, not that like, dying in the war is like clean but yeah I think Hermione is sort of emblematic of there being populations that are at risk of being sort of collateral damage in this kind of a conflict and in just basically any scenario statistically yeah like a woman is more likely to be subjected to sexual violence than most populations of men yeah there are certainly exceptions to that in terms of queer men and gender non-conforming people and trans people but yeah and Beltrix singles out Hermione for torture she doesn't torture Ron for information so Ron and Harry are kind of like granted these kind of like the Death Eaters are still kind of like playing within I guess you might call them like the rules of war or whatever like they're bound like Harry is still even though Harry is target number one he's still like he's kept really safe yeah he's still he's still granted like privileges even by the people who most want to kill him it's also interesting because i can't ever tell if jk rowling is deliberately doing things with gender or is just has a knack for accidentally doing things with gender that are not great um i mean i don't know if this is not is this not great like Tracks. It's not that it's it not great. Really... It's just sometimes she's really thoughtless about these things. Yeah. So I think we're meant to understand that Hermione is at particularly high risk because she is muggle-born. Right. But she sort of does the same thing with race where it's like we are supposed to sort of not have the identity markers in the wizarding world that we do in the muggle world and that these whole other set of identity markers are what matter and are what sort of like track for wizards and that's just not true in the ways that like things actually happen to characters so I always am curious about whether there's like a deliberate commentary here on Hermione's sort of level of risk or if J.K. Rowling is just sort of like subsumed in like a kind of unthinking cultural understanding of like who violence of this kind is inflicted on like is she making a choice or is the fact that Hermione is female and a muggle-born, does that feel incidental to her? Because that doesn't feel incidental to me. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, there are sort of layers of privilege and protection and access that exist in these books for across, like, lines of identity that aren't relevant for muggles, but they often sort of track. And I can't ever tell if she's doing that on purpose. Yeah. The other thing we can talk, we have talked about with with werewolves that we should talk about with Fenrir is 
there is a pretty compelling case to be made that the way she writes about Remus Lupin, as we've discussed, has a lot of overtones of a person with an infectious disease broadly and and specifically a person with HIV. And she's made that connection explicit. Has she? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, that was in her mind when she wrote the character of Remus Lupin. So now we have this other character. Where it's like... Henry Grayback. If that was deliberate writing, then like what the fuck are we supposed to understand about Fenrir? He crouched down beside Harry, who saw through the infinitesimal gap left between his swollen eyelids, a face covered in matted gray hair and whiskers, with pointed brown teeth and sores at the corners of his mouth. Greyback smelled as he had done at the top of the tower where Dumbledore had died, of dirt, sweat, and blood. There is overt HIV imagery in her description of Fenrir. Fenrir has sores around his mouth. There is nothing about being a werewolf that I can think of that means you have open sores on your mouth. That is pretty troubling imagery kind of drawn from reality and also sort of like attendant stereotypes of HIV positive people. Yeah, he's like a stereotype like straight out of like the 80s of the uh, the kind of predatory... The, like, super spreader. Yeah, the super, yeah, the AIDS, like, super spreader. Yeah, no, what's freaky is that J.K. Rowling wrote what was a pretty sensitive and interesting portrait of a person with a highly stigmatized disease in Remus Lupin. And then she turns around and writes this, like, fucked up, like, overtly deviant, evil, deliberate infector. Like, what am I supposed to do with this, J.K. Rowling? This is so bad. <laughs> yeah. Because he's... it's not as though she can say like, oh, well, I meant werewolfism to specifically have that analog for Remus Lupin, but it isn't like a broader thing because she's using the images. Right. So, I mean, AIDS, AIDS as a disease has been sexualized and its victims have been sexualized and it's seen as this by, especially in the early days of the epidemic and still today by some people as like punishment for transgression even though it spreads in all these ways that have nothing to do with sex well and also even though like people have sex yeah but it is seen as a disease of degenerates right and And so we have this like consummate degenerate right this and grayback is like carnal and he constantly wants to make new werewolves which is this which is like kind of depicted in this sexual carnal yeah i mean it's interesting way. like he just wants to like basically spread it yeah molest kids well and that's the other thing is like he his relationship with lupin is even more sort of harrowing when you kind of peel back the the metaphor because yeah, he Fenrir specifically wants to infect children. Yeah. Which, again, is like a, a version of the very, very, very ugliest stereotypes that exist from like the early days of the AIDS epidemic. It's fucking despicable. And about gay men in general. Yeah, no, it's... So I'm just like, she like almost got there with kind of an interesting and sensitive portrayal with Lupin. And now it's just like, holy shit. But like, <laughs> did... 
did you need to, did we need to take it here? I, I don't super think so. And, you know, the other thing I will say is that a lot of this, I don't know as much about sort of like werewolf lore, but okay, so for example, in Twilight, which draws, I think, a little bit, which draws differently on kind of like monster stories, but Hughes a little closer to kind of general cultural stereotypes vampires are the sort of sexualized kind of like blood-sucking predator types and I don't think that's actually true of werewolves like I think JK did this herself mm, I haven't read enough werewolf fic to really I know I mean the there's a involved there's a sort of a a wild animal like beastliness but the specific sexualization is it's really odd to me werewolf is it's like about the jekyll and hyde right it's the beast within the man or the woman it's the beast within that gets out and we can't control it's the fear of it's the fear of losing control it's not this i guess that always involves sex and sexuality to some extent certainly jekyll and hyde does so and that always involves there's like sexual elements in all of that but another interesting parallel between grayback and Lupin is Venrier isn't ashamed of his condition and Lupin is. Well, do we know that? I think Fenrir has sort of like subsumed that shame into this like persona. Like Fenrir doesn't feel like a human mm. and Fenrir doesn't engage in the world like a human. Maybe that was a bad... Like Fenrir is interesting also because he's he's a werewolf all the time. Like... And that actually, just the mechanics of that are confusing to me. He's not a werewolf all the time. Well, but he sort of like inhabits his like wolf self, like primarily. Even in human form. So he's a, he's not a physical wolf in this scene, but he's very clearly, for example, he seems like he bites people as a human. Yeah, he does do that. That's That's, that's, horrifying. That's canonical. Ugh. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think, again, I mean, we were, we, we sort of had some hesitations about talking about this with Lupin, but... It is true that J.K. Rowling herself has sort of like patted herself on the back for that portrayal. And it's like, okay, well then you need to answer for Fenrir because this is rough. Like he's a very frightening and and interesting and, and would be a kind of fun Death Eater. Like it is kind of fun to have an actually scary Death Eater. Right. But then you kind of, you you poke at it a little bit and you're just like, this is, again, not great. Well, when you use those fucked up stereotypes, you're kind of cheating, right? Yeah, that's the to other thing. It's like lazy. A scary, yeah, like bad guy. No, like, it is. It's fucking lazy to just like draw on a boring kind of like not bore. It it is lazy to draw on a particularly horrifying set of stereotypes to like to make a baddie and then sort of think you can skate by the imagery that you're actually drawing on. J.K. Rowling is certainly guilty of this, but I think a lot of writers are kind of guilty of being like it was deliberate and it's like an interesting metaphor when it like makes me look like good and cool and it's like oh I don't know like it's just out there and it's just a story when it makes you look incredibly tone deaf and obnoxious well I guess the interesting the interesting thing about Greyback is how he's turned to the Death Eaters because he basically has no there's no place in society for him yeah I mean that's the other take is that he's He's written off humans. He has been, he's been so warped by the rejection of society. 
Yeah, but even then... But that's not his, that original. Also, or, like, though, his, fu- <laughs> his behavior is not... Yeah, he's irredeemable. Yeah. There's nothing... This is not to make excuses for Fenrir Greyback. He's a literal monster in these books. But, yeah. Uh, so it's hard because I he's fun to read. Like, these are, these are fun, exciting, scary scenes. And what are we here to do if not ruin all of your reading fun? That's like our full entire brand. So sorry, we can't, we can't stand Fenrir anymore, you guys. Don't let people enjoy things. That is our... That's our motto. That's our motto. You know it. You love it. All right, let's take a hard pivot to... Org charts. Org charts. Organizational management theory. <laughs> uh, is that what it, that is that what that's called? I, I don't know. Some Six Sigma situations. Yeah. We're rewatching Thirty Rocks, surprising no one. <laughs> so I'm thinking about Six Sigma a lot, which is real. Yeah. So let's talk about let's talk about leadership styles, uh, specifically Voldemort's. So when I got to this chapter, at first I was like, man, the Malfoys. And Bellatrix, they really fucked up. Yeah, they super shit they, the bed. They fucked up big time. They always fuck up. But in a way, I mean, they let Harry Potter go. It's kind of Voldemort's fuck up. It's totally his fault. In the long run. It's because, his management style. Yeah, everybody is so freaked out about summoning Voldemort for no reason because they're afraid he'll literally kill them that they burn like, I don't know, two hours yeah, just like, like debating what to do with Harry faffing Potter. about. Rather than be like, hey, boss, we have a reasonable suspicion this is Harry Potter. We've caught his two best friends. Like. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it is, I mean, it, this is just a failure of leadership yeah, at every level. There's no organizational trust here. Yeah. You need psychological safety for people to take calculated risks and make good choices. Or like Greyback. They could have taken these kids to the ministry and they could have put them in like, I don't know, some like... Tank? Department of Secrets. Like, department of depart- Mysteries. <laughs> department of, of Secrets. Wow, I'm a shitty Harry Potter fan. <laughs> they could have put them in some Department of Mysteries like holding cell, but they were so afraid of being screwed out of their reward that they like literally take them to this... They take them to... I don't know. They take him to Malfoy Manor. There's no clear like chain of command here. Yeah. First of all, it's like, you know, it's a bad org chart when there's one person in charge and there's, there's no sort of, yeah, there's, there's no like dotted lines. Like, yeah, you've got the dark ministry, but then like, actually the real power is over at like the Malfoy Manor, but that's like all off the books. I don't know. But also the Malfoys themselves are like not very powerful. They literally just have a house. <laughs> like it is just their pad. He is disinterested in them, but they have like a sick literal manner. So it's interesting because like, A, this is just like not how you get the best work out of people. But leading exclusively with fear leads to really, really tremendous mistakes. We know this from like, autocrats in the entirety throughout of history. history i mean even sorry to get topical but covid19 you know like one of the reasons china lost control of the situation was nobody wanted to give the brass bad news so they waited a really you long know? time so there was a lot of denial and magical thinking and uh you know similar things happened in the united states and yeah. now we've got like a worldwide pandemic because yeah. Partly because viruses exist, but partly because a lot of bad leadership yeah. choices yeah. got so made. Authoritarian leadership, 
authoritarian leadership styles aren't actually that effective. You would think things would be more efficient because... Also, didn't the trains like literally not run on time? Like, is that true? I think that's actually, yeah, I think Mussolini making the trains run on time is a myth, but I don't know. Or like, you, you, you'll like read books about Mao being like super flabbergasted by various like famines and other breakdowns because like everybody had been reporting like bumper crops to them. Yeah. So the, the perfect encapsulation of that failure of management and leadership in Lovo in this chapter is that he built this like extremely spiteful and very, very not smart self-destruct mechanism into Wormtail's hand, which functionally is the reason that Harry and Ron get away because <laughs> Lovo was like, if you show a moment of disloyalty, your scary silver hand will auto kill you. Dude, yeah. Wormtail had like a 10 second lapse, immediately tried to take it back and the hand of like the silver hand's like, nope, sorry, you're fired. Like, yeah. fuck you. Which is, which <laughs> is a huge mistake in this scene. Like Wormtail sort of accidentally self-murdering is a real problem for the Death Eaters. And having moments of doubt is not something that should get you. I mean, first of all, just from a moral standpoint, obviously, like having moments of doubt shouldn't get you killed. But this like really, really, really messes up the plan because Wormtail was actually kind of like key to relaying the information that Harry Potter had figured out a friggin' escape route. Yeah. <laughs> so that Wormtail scene, though, does take me to something I want to kind of linger on in Harry's character because Harry tries to save Wormtail. He does, after all that. Till the very end, Harry and Ron try pretty strenuously to keep Wormtail from strangling himself. Harry doesn't think that any human, that not even human, because Dobby's not a human. Harry doesn't think any life is like inherently worthless. And I think he thinks that at this like really deep like lizard brain level because in the moment I'm sure he wouldn't say well I want to save Wormtail because I sort of like inherently believe in saving things and people but you know that's his instinct he tries to make Wormtail not kill himself even though Wormtail killing himself is awesome for Harry and Ron in that moment like it's a really 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 good thing to happen to them because otherwise Wormtail would go Tell those yeah, guys literally that once they'd say shit was going yeah, down. Once they'd save Wormtail's life, you know they would have immediately died. Yeah, he's such a piece of shit. He would have been like, "Oh, they're down here, they're down here." Uh, what a fucking asshole! And the that same guy thing is. with Griphook. I mean, you know, Griphook is is he's not a villain. Oh, we'll but, dig into Griphook. Oh yeah, in future episodes. It's gonna be really fun to talk about Griphook. But lots of wizards don't see Griphook as important or their equal, or really a a life, period. And without even thinking, Harry A, saves Griphook, and B, trusts Griphook to do him a solid. He doesn't, like, threaten Griphook. You know what I mean? Like, he could say, like, if you don't tell them that the sword's a fake, like, I'll fucking kill you. Like, he's just like, look, you're a being, I'm a being, you see the shit we're in. I'm going to just trust that you're going to do this thing. Because I, like, think that you're, like, a fully sort of, like, morally functional creature. Yeah. For all the kind of boneheaded things Harry has done out of, like, an abundance of recklessness, this is what makes him a great hero. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
he doesn't even kill Bellatrix. Yeah. He should kill Bellatrix. And he's a true, I mean, I think Harry, he's a true pacifist. Yeah. I think that's the most interesting thing to have in like a war hero is he's just like actually constantly trying to prevent collateral damage. Harry really, 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 A, he doesn't want his people to die, but he just doesn't want a lot of people to die, period. Like, like he's not interesting in, in he's not interested in just like laying waste to Death Eaters. Almost everything he does in these books is in self-defense. And yeah. um, his signature spell is Expelliarmus. Yeah. And the one time that he really attacks with malice, Draco Malfoy. He it, feels real he, shitty. It, it backfires and, and it teaches he feels him, terrible about it. It teaches him a lesson to sort of not fuck with that kind of thing ever again. And he's trying to kill Voldemort, but even in the end, spoiler alert, he doesn't actually attack Voldemort. Like, he doesn't throw the first, like, spell. Punch? Cast the first yeah. spell. Yeah. Uh, um, Harry is very... Yeah, he's... I don't necessarily... I mean, maybe not... Maybe pacifist isn't quite the right word, because, like... You know, he he's willing for the shit to go down when it goes down. Like, he's not a conscientious objector. Okay, yeah. But he is very invested in preserving, like, remotely innocent lives. And he tends not to be an escalator. No, even he though is he's really a, not Even an though escalator. he's a hothead yeah. a little bit. He gets his emotions in check when it's, like, really, really necessary. It was interesting because I feel like we talked, if, you know, probably a thousand episodes ago about how annoying it is that Harry becomes like a cop essentially like a wizard law enforcement as opposed to a professor which I remain convinced he would be really good at but he actually has some qualities he's of exactly like, the kind of person you'd want yeah in law enforcement he has qualities of of really yeah the sort of best case scenario of law enforcement which is that he he does not like cast first ask questions yeah, later he doesn't he rashly resort to force he is better than most characters in these books at sort of like controlling his own biases and like overriding and or understanding his own biases like honestly if we have to have wizard cops like harry's probably a pretty like fair one yeah he's who you want as your head of magical law enforcement i would say yeah and he has a great deal of combat experience that hasn't made him sort of like callous and cruel. It's yeah. actually like sort of, it's like deepened his like moral reserve. He's a firm believer in non-lethal force. And even then used fairly sparingly. Even, I mean, okay. I know Harry like owes his life a hundred times over to Dobby but Harry's grief for Dobby, and we, you know, we can talk about this more in a bit when we get to this truly awful thing that happens. His grief is really moving because it's 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 complete. It's yeah. not, oh, I'm really sad about Dobby, even though he was just a house elf. It's like, this is my equal, this is my friend, this is like my compatriot in this fight. Dobby is a fucking comrade. And he's fallen, and Harry's grief for that is like is is total and real. Yeah. We should touch on the Malfoys briefly because, like, Jesus Christ, these guys are trash at their jobs. <laughs> His gray eyes raked Harry's forehead. There's something there, he whispered. It could be the scar. Stretch tight. Draco, come here. Look properly. What do you think? 
Harry saw Draco's face up close now, right beside his father's. They were extraordinarily alike, except that while his father looked beside himself with excitement, Draco's expression was full of reluctance, even fear. I don't know, he said, and he walked away toward the fireplace where his mother stood watching. We had better be certain, Lucius, Narcissa called to her husband in her cold, clear voice. Completely sure that it is Potter before we summon a Dark Lord. They say this is his. She was looking closely at the Blackthorn wand. But it does not resemble Ollivander's description. If we are mistaken, if we call the Dark Lord here for nothing, remember what he did to Raoul and Dolohov. Malfoy is... I mean, Lucius is... I'm trying to think of a hilarious word to describe him, but... He's a candy ass. Yeah, Lucius is such a candy ass. Just like... And just what a piece of shit. He's like immediately going to take credit for like capturing Harry Potter when he did nothing. He literally just like showed up at his doorstep. He literally had a house. Yeah. That's all yeah. Lucius has done in this entire book is have... It's kind of in the series. In the series is have a house and money and like cool blonde hair. So I mean, yeah, there's no honor among thieves as it's... we've discussed in our like the segment on authoritarianism, but... It's wild to me it makes no earthly sense that Voldemort doesn't kill them when he finds out that they lost Harry Potter why like yeah, why know. are the Malfoys still alive they are not useful instruments <laughs> they're I have no idea they're like just kill these guys they are not helping you if Voldemort is so open to just like randomly and lazily Avada Kedavraing, and I just don't know why Lucius and Narcissa and Draco Malfoy make it to the end of this book. Can we also... Maybe they get tortured. He kind of likes having sure. people that he kicks around. He kind of does like having people he can just kick around. Like, now that Wormtail's dead... But, like, keep Lucius. Fine. Lucius can play that role. There is no... It doesn't make any, like, plot or character sense that Narcissa and Draco make it out of this. Except that Voldemort's Mabes, no, is canonically, according to Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, fucking Bellatrix. Yeah, but so, that doesn't have anything to do with anybody. That's her brother and, that's her sister and brother-in-law. Tell me the universe in which Voldemort cares about somebody's sister. Hey man, relationships are complicated. <laughs> yeah, weird. Well... <laughs> So we got to talk a minute about Draco because I think this is where the like Draco redemption tour has its first stop. And I just don't buy it. He's not redeemed. He's just a second candy ass. Yeah. This is fear. This is not like grudging respect for Harry. I think, I mean, like, let's give him like 2% credit for just not i'll bump that out to five percent five percent i'll give him five percent like, eh, i don't know but i think more i think more than draco is growing a conscience it's more that draco just wants out yeah he's like fuck this i'm sick of this shit i don't want any part of it he's so traumatized by his dad like fucking everything up at the ministry of magic and then him not being able to pull off the dumbledore assassination mission that he just his like confidence is totally shot so he's like, I'll just screw this up no matter what I do. Yeah. And also he's just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I yeah. just want out. I don't care. I don't care who wins. I don't care about the Death Eaters. I don't care about Dumbledore. I just want to go back to being kind of a rich dick At that's school. in Slytherin and is yeah. like seeker on the Quidditch team. Like, I don't really 
He doesn't really believe in anything, it turns out. He just likes the trappings. Well, that makes me feel a little sad for him because that's a... F- I guess that is kind of a normal, like, teenager way to behave. Yeah, it's like when you get really into the alt-right and then, like, somebody you know, like, does something, like, heinous. And you were just like, I thought we were just in this for, like, the laws, you yeah. know? I don't know about that personally. Well, you know, well, you know like, teens get, like sucked into like alt-right message boards and stuff like that and then like i mean it is an experience that somebody you like kind of know digitally like goes off and like commits Kills a, a bunch yeah. of women in a sorority yeah and you're like oh and you're like, whoa what i didn't the know fuck? that we were like like i was like <laughs> i meant that metaphorically yeah you know i was um, just like i just watched the matrix yeah uh <laughs> or i mean you know a lot of people like draco was in it for the he was just a meme lord. Like, yeah. he's a shit. Draco's he's, a shit poster. He's a shit poster. He's not actually yeah. like Draco's entirely a meme lord, and and it is interesting because he's he's in it. You're right. Like for the aesthetic, like he's also kind of like an aesthete. Yeah, he's but just I mean, like I look good in green. I really like having like very very big dumb like henchmen types. I don't really think all of the ideology. And that doesn't actually excuse the. No, it doesn't excuse it. It the, actually like, just makes my, it my fictional. Like, it makes it pathetic. My fictional meme lord who doesn't like actually want to go do mass shootings or whatever. They just in it for like you've c- contributed to the space that produces those people. No. Like Draco is complete. Like we see that with Crab and Goyle. Like would they have gone as far as they did in their death eaterism without like Draco kind of encouraging and like protecting them? Who Honestly, knows? Honestly, they're know? they're too stupid to have. Yeah. really gotten any kind of ideological so like draco bent. is draco is guilty as hell he just yeah he doesn't he doesn't actually it's actually more pathetic to be like not a true believer and just kind <laughs> of like in this because you like can't really like finagle i mean it's sad because he's in it because of his family but also like lots of people don't do bad things because the people around them do bad things so like many many people make good and sound choices so draco doesn't get off because he makes bad and unsound choices i just hate i hate that he and harry are kind of like grudging buds in cursed child i think (laughs) i think there are so many things about the plot of cursed child that like even though i adored seeing the play i had so much fun but the actual plot I can't, I cannot tell you how much it makes me wild with rage that Harry and Draco are like chill. Like he's just, he's not good. They're not that chill. Okay, that's, they're medium chill. And I guess like whatever, their their kids are friends. So it's like a whole, I don't, I don't think, I mean, maybe this says something about me that I don't super believe in redemption but I don't think that's true I just don't think Draco actually does anything to redeem himself you don't get forgiveness because you don't do a bad thing you get forgiveness if you like make amends also he literally tried to assassinate Alice Dumbledore yeah he does a lot of bad things he uh was very much accessory to that uh, particular murder. murder yeah and if anything else he was aiding and abetting like criminal trespassing with the fucking uh well, that's vanishing cabinet. That's kind of a low. That's kind of a low charge. Yep. Okay. If you let terrorists into like a school, 
Yeah, that's different that's, than criminal trespassing. Okay, that's, well, I mean, I don't, no, I'm, I not, I'm not, I'm not, you're a not law, a lawologist. I'm not a lawologist, okay? <laughs> I can't tell you what the, like, I don't, and I don't know what the wizarding penal code is, except that it's very strict. But yeah, it's weird that it's both strict and, and almost strict never applied. Yeah, and in Cursed Child, and we can talk about Cursed Child much later uh, in detail. He's still kind of pissy about the fact that everyone hates his family and like Harry Potter's ruined his life. And it's like, dude, you guys were like wizard Nazis. You were like. You guys weren't even a little bit kind of misunderstood. Yeah, you, you weren't were even like grudging bad. collaborators. No, you, you were, were so bad. lucky. You that... were never just following yeah. orders. The Ministry of Magic. He's like actively into it. And he's still rich in Cursed Child. The Ministry of yeah, Magic should have like, exp- should have like seized. The Malfoy estate and like paid it as reparations, dispersed it, yeah, as reparations to like house elves, goblins, and like muggle porns, you know. But anyway, I don't think I want to linger here, but same with Narcissa, there's no redemption arc here. There's no like, oh, she just loves her son. Like, no, she's she's in it because she's the bad guys, too. We'll deal with Narcissa in another chapter in another chapter during her big moment. We haven't got to her yet, but let's talk a little finally about not finally. There's still a lot of episode to go, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let's talk about Bellatrix. So, I have a question. Does Bellatrix is really freaked out about the sword? Does she know about the Horcruxes? I forget, but I don't think so, but I also keep forgetting really important. I feel important. like maybe well, okay, this is off topic, but how I know that I shouldn't be asked questions like that is because I totally forgot that this is the like, this is the technicality heard around the world. Because this is the scene where fucking Harry disarms Draco and therefore owns the Elder Wand. Yeah. Which I remi- I'm annoyed, I'm like pre-annoyed thinking about the fact that this scene leads to <laughs> such a travesty of winning on a technicality. So the asterisk. Yeah. The asterisk that sort of collapses it all. Okay, so that's not important. All of which is to say I had totally forgotten that until somebody told me on Twitter today. So I don't know what happens in this book at all. So sure, maybe she knows it's a horcrux. I'm gonna say no because that's sort of my current belief. But and she I don't knows. know. Because they're fucking. This is pillow talk. This is Horcrux pillow talk. I can't talk. imagine that they talk. I don't think they talk. What, do you think he smokes a cigarette? No, I think it's just pretty quick. Honestly. <laughs> because I think Voldemort is mostly trying to make a gross Voldemort kid. This isn't like sexy or love. Voldemort wants to see if he can procreate. Also, why is Bellatrix never pregnant? This is exactly when Bellatrix would be pregnant. Cursed Child makes no <laughs> sense. I think... It is so non-canonical that I just like want to lie on the floor. It seems like she kind of knows about the Horcruxes, just based on her panic around the sword That's and fair. the Horcrux being in the vault. But maybe she doesn't know the whole story, because I also have I a hard time... I just think she knows that Voldemort gave her a bunch of important shit to put in a right. vault, and she's like, he's gonna be mad at me. She really gives away the store by, like, shrieking about the vault. Yeah. She's like, hope you didn't go inside my vault, where very important things are stored. <laughs> Hermione's like, interesting. If, if you we es- get yeah. out of here alive... <laughs> if you escape, definitely don't go there in a couple chapters. Yeah. How dare you even think that your next adventure might be going into my vault? You'd be mad to try and rob it. <laughs> 
this episode is really, really, really long, partly because I think we're avoiding talking about... It's a very the, long chapter in general, though. Well, it's a fucking long, dense, packed chapter, and the worst thing so far happens at the end of it, and I don't know that either of us are ready to grapple with Dobby's death, but I, I sobbed. It is... I mean, this is a very, very, very uninteresting thing to say, but oh my god, it's sad. It's almost as sad as Hedwig's death. Oh, it's so much sadder. You're that's just a that's no, just, just a casting aspersions. How dare you? It's really sad when Hedwig dies, but Dobby is like, honestly, Dobby is the hero of. It is, should be called Dobby and I saved everyone. R.I.P. Seriously, Dobby! She screamed. And even Bellatrix froze. You! You dropped the chandelier! The tiny elf trotted into the room, his shaking finger pointing at his old mistress. You must not hurt Harry Potter! He squeaked. Kill him, sissy! Shrieked Bellatrix. But there was another loud crack. And Narcissus one, too, flew into the air and landed on the other side of the room. You dirty little monkey! Bawled Bellatrix. How dare you take a witch's wand? How dare you defy your masters? Dobby has no master, squealed the elf. Dobby is a free elf, and Dobby has come to save Harry Potter and his friends. Dobby is the MVP of the Order of the Phoenix right now. I, I mean, mean, he shows up. This is kind of the most peril they're in until the end. literal Voldemort is like facing down with Harry Potter. Yeah. It's fun to have one last totally inexplicable Dobby ex machina. It's... I, I don't know if it's inexplicable because it is Malfoy Manor. No, but... He sees the eye in the shard of glass. Okay, so but how does Aberforth know where Dobby is? Like, it's just Dobby is just the guy you send. <laughs> like... Okay, it doesn't make a ton of sense. And I remember the first time I read the book, I was like, what the fuck? Now like, Dobby's here? Dobby, how'd you get here? Like, Who told you to come also, here? Also, the same could apply in like the second task when Dobby's like, oh, here's Gillyweed. Right, that's what like, I'm saying. What? Dobby saves the day in pretty absurd, but really endearing ways. I do, I kind of like that in Chamber of Secrets, Dobby just shows up to like wreck Harry Potter's shit every couple chapters. Like Dobby showing up is usually a terrible thing. I know, but even then, and then he's it's beloved. It's like, like a turn on it. It like turns in this fun way. Because then he just shows up to, like, uh, make decorations and, like, give useful hints. It's so totally inevitable that Harry Potter finally gets Dobby killed. That's so sad. But, you know, from the first time Dobby shows up, you're like, oh, this guy is going to be a martyr for the cause. Did, do, he is, do we think that from the first time he shows up? His devotion to Harry can only lead to his wow. jumping in front of a metaphorical Harry Potter bullet. A knife in this case. A yeah. bullet shaped like a knife. Um, I remember thinking, I remember being shocked that Dobby gets a fucking knife to the chest. I was like, what the hell, it's a J.K. Shocking, Rowling? It's a shocking way to die, but no, Dobby's doomed from the start. Yeah, Dobby's like the only one who bleeds out. Well, because Dobby and Hedwig, books. I know, Dobby and Hedwig are... That's how you show you mean business if you're, and Cedric, if you're J.K. Rowling, you're like, I'm going to kill people who are totally innocent. Yeah. Get at me. <sighs> um, I did, I choked up at Dobby's like final, ex, his final like declaration of his 
independence and autonomy to to his former masters. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, I mean, I love that part, and it shows what the struggle's about. It is. It's actually a perfect encapsulation of why they're even having this war. Right. And what I love about Dobby at the end here is he's just a truly shocking action hero if you're like a wizard supremacist. Dobby shows up and it's like, we didn't actually even know these things could do magic. Like, let alone do... Dobby is the most magically powerful character in this scene. He doesn't even have a wand. No, he he just snaps his fingers. And he can do... He can do anything to the point that it's a little bit like, I think you might have stretched the house elf magic <laughs> sort of to breaking here, J.K. Rowling. But it is extremely, I mean, it's just deeply satisfying that Dobby's last act is to just totally wreck the shit of the Malfoys. Fan of the opera style. He's like, you will curse the day you did not do. Okay. Oh, Dobby asked of you. But the Phantom's the bad guy. Yeah, but the Phantom... Well, the Phantom is scorned Yeah, but by society. Okay, the but Dobby is not the Phantom. Obviously, but the Phantom's the bad guy. But Dobby clearly watched Phantom of the Opera at some point. That's true. I can actually... Like, hell yeah. I think I have a headcanon where Dobby is really into musicals. Yeah. I feel like Dobby is the only creature in the wizarding world that has figured out that like musicals are the shit. Musicals they have socks. no art. Yeah. He sits in socks and you know, watches like Phantom's musicals. pretty tacky. So is Dobby. Yeah. But he loves it. That's where Dobby got this idea. (laughs) He does just very low-key save the world in this scene. Yeah. He's just like, okay, well, here's my last act of such staggering heroism that I can't even wrap my mind around it. Around, abound, around it. Is there anything else you want to... I feel like we're giving Dobby short shrift like we talked... A whole bunch about how wizards have why Bellatrix has a knife, and now we've run aground on. I mean, like, what is there to say? Dobby's this iceberg of a tragedy. You don't run aground on an iceberg. Now we've like we're we're pretty. This is going to be an interesting one. We're punch drunk with the intensity of this chapter. We're also punch point. drunk of having been just like stuck. For six weeks, just like the rest of us are. It's a weird time, y'all. We're doing our best. Um, I don't know that there's much to say about Dobby other than this is, he's amazing and this is really sad. I she mean, did sort of have to kill him off because, yeah, it's another, it's another of this agonizing stripping away of all of Harry Potter's, like, safety, well, like, of cutting, like, every last Harry Potter safety net because you can't have him facing off with Voldemort and it's like oh where's Dobby out is Dobby out there maybe Dobby will show up yeah it's one of those things where Dobby is Harry's sort of like last ditch effort savior every time and we yeah we gotta lose that we we just have to lose everything Harry can rely on other than his own sort of strange little death wish he never loses Ron and Hermione which I I think is good but he's like without them right. sort of at that at the end this is my worst death the twins i mean you know the the weasley loss is bad and and maybe i'll say it's my worst death when it actually happens because i think i'm gonna cry my eyes out but this one is this one really this one hits hard there's, so i think there's also the guilt that harry feels oh yeah harry got him killed yeah so harry deserves to feel pretty guilty but also like it's just you know you 
people are people die in these conflicts. But Dobby makes it clear. He says Dobby's a free elf. Dobby's making this, was this Dobby's decision. decision. Nobody commanded that Dobby go save Harry Potter. And I had this thought. I was like, oh, well, Dobby sort of replaced his loyalty to like the Malfoys with like this like Harry Potter fandom. But I, I don't think that's. I don't true. think that's true. Yeah, I don't think that's Dobby true. has a made. Thought. This is free association. Dobby has made a very grounded moral choice to be Harry Potter's weird, creaky ex machina situation. <laughs> Dobby has, I, the thing, if we can do anything for Dobby, if we can do anything in Dobby's memory, it is just to take him at his word that he is free. Yeah. We can just believe him when he says that because we get, we can fully admire and admit his agency he made this choice it sucks it's really sad but dobby dobby knew the risks and he made he made a choice and he's brave as hell he's so brave oh it's devastating it's just devastating because you see the flicker of fear when he's back at the malfoys but but he's, he's like, like his resolve is like he apparates away and comes back oh i know he comes back he could have just been like, okay, I'm going to do this first errand and then I might chill. But, you know, he knows he has to save Harry more than he has to save these like other fucking weirdos. Like, I don't know, D- like Dean like Thomas? Thomas? <laughs> okay, I guess. Um, Who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero is Luna for being, as we expected, very good at being imprisoned. She's got the fucking rusty nail that she uses, puts to manifold uses, I'm sure multifold manifold that she puts to multifarious uses i like that luna a thing i like about luna that isn't surprising to me at all given what we've learned about her so far is she's like she's really good at being in prison in that she doesn't really lose her sense of self she's such a strangely self-possessed person that She's still like entirely Luna yeah, in like, this scene. Oh, hey she's guys. Like, hey, Nargles, what up? <laughs> and she's like so like polite and kind of sweet to Ollivander, even though he can't hear her and he's basically dead. She's like, oh, Mr. Ollivander, if you would move. Yeah. She's just a, well, Harry she's predicts a good this. little heart. Harry predicts this in an earlier chapter when Ron and Hermione are like, oh man, can you imagine Luna in Azkaban? She, and Harry's like, she will teach all the prisoners how to cast Patronuses. Like, yeah, she you is. Don't, you don't understand, man. She is like Luna's the like consummate foot soldier of Dumbledore's army. Darn shit. Yeah, yeah, she's a survivor. She is. Love Luna, love good. I do too. Mine is Aberforth, um, whose blue eye it is, because he is the actual unsung hero of this chapter like it's just literally true <laughs> i kind of like the flickering hints that Dum- that dumbledore might somehow still be alive in some way and then it's not i like That's, that it's not yeah i like that it's not dumbledore's those good, eye those are good red herrings well especially because it would be really annoying if it was dumbledore oh, it'd be it would be so irritating and instead it's like okay well this is kind of weird but it's a little better also, Aberforth ends up being a super fun character. Yeah, I'm actually really excited for getting to Aberforth. He's a he's a he's a fun one. There's not a ton of book left, but there's still so much good oh book left. Oh my god, so much is good. We haven't even gotten onto the dragon. There's a dragon like in the offing, <laughs> so that's cool. 
This week's episode is brought to you by Malfoy Manor. Uh, what should I say about it? When you're here, your family. When you're here, your family. We've used that one so many times. I know, but, but it's just really, it's kind of a Swiss army knife of dumb catchphrases. A Bellatrix knife? I don't think a Bellatrix's knife is a Swiss army no, knife. It's... That's who the episode is brought to you by. The episode, this episode is brought to you by Bellatrix's knife. When a wand stay, just won't do. Yeah, stay sharp. Uh, <laughs> look sharp. Dobby, look sharp. Ugh. Ooh, that could be the name of the episode. No. No. Hey, hey, Dobby, look sharp. What is that from? That's from the musical 1776. Okay, so that's too obscure even for the quibbler. All right, fair enough. Some of you out there have seen 1776. I have seen it. Mr. Feeney's in it. I've seen it. That doesn't mean that I know the lyrics by heart. We sang that in senior choir, too. Oh, God, you're such a nerd. I know. The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. If you are looking for something to fill your brain while you shelter in place, self-isolate, quarantine, whatever we're calling it, may I recommend listening to the entire Harry Potter canon on audiobook. Stephen Fry, if that's who you've got, but I am a Jim Dale gal myself. It works for us. I've also been listening to The Lord of the Rings. That's not Jim Dale. The first, The Lord of the Rings is like, the first half of The Fellowship of the Ring is just the camping scenes uh, of Except that they like all take baths together. Hundreds pages more, and there's like communal bathing. They're like way cuter, honestly. Yeah. You can subscribe wherever it is you like to do that with podcasts. We're on, you know, the places, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, blah, 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 blah. You can rate and review us if that's a thing you're into on the platform of your choice. You can follow us on social media at Quibbler Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can email us at quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. Send us a vibe check. We've got a few. It's been actually remarkably wonderful to hear from you all and hear how you're doing and what you're doing and how you're spending or not spending your time we have heard from some of you who are still going into work so bless you for that and also I'm sorry that capitalism requires that of so many of us and we have heard from some of you who are figuring out how to fill time and anxiety so yeah send us a vibe check we're thinking of you all and Also, we have a tiny letter, which we sometimes send out, tinyletter.com slash quibblerpodcast. It tends to be fun. Next time, It's infrequent, but good. Next time, we will be reading the chapter called The Wandmaker, also in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Thanks, amigos. Harry Potter freed Dobby said the elf shrilly, gazing up at Harry, moonlight from the nearest window reflected in his orb-like eyes. Harry Potter set Dobby free. Least I could do, Dobby, said Harry, grinning. Just promise never to try and save my life again. And now, she said in a voice that burst with triumph, we call the Dark Lord. And she pushed back her sleeve, 
and touched her forefinger to the dark mark. At once, Harry's scarf felt as though it had split open again. His true surroundings vanished. He was Voldemort, and the skeletal wizard before him was laughing toothlessly at him. He was enraged at the summons he felt. He had warned them. He had told them to summon him for nothing less than Potter. If they were mistaken... Kill me, then, demanded the old man. You will not win! You cannot win! That wand will never, ever be yours! And Voldemort's fury broke. A burst of green light filled the prison room, and the frail old body was lifted from its hard bed, and then fell back, lifeless. And Voldemort returned to the window, his wrath barely controllable.